Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. That was just coincidence, really. <laughs> really was. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Seven words that'll scare any talk show host. Candace Bergen, Michelle Rempel, and Senator Denise Batters are on the line. That'll scare any talk show host. There's been a lot of excitement since I revealed to you that we'd be ending 2017 with uh, the members of Parliament and the Senator from the Conservative Party of Canada. A lot of excitement because you have so many fans, so many supporters. In fact, I've heard from people who identify themselves fully and uh, with conviction as people from the left, and yet they are very much looking forward to hearing um, you, Senator Batters, you, Michelle Rempel, Member of Parliament, and uh, Member of Parliament Candace Bergen. They People are looking forward to what you have to say. So welcome, and uh, I can't think of a better way to kick 2017 in the behind. <laughs> awesome. Hey. Looking forward hey. to it. All right. Can we start? Let, let me start start it off with the issue that people are always talking about, and that's taxation. And uh, we have, starting tomorrow, there's going to be a carbon tax uh, starting, according to the Prime Minister. It has to begin in 2018. Taxation is, uh, is, is a major issue. Small businesses are going to be dealing with changes in taxes. Uh, we're going to have, uh, provincially, there'll be minimum wage hikes in uh, in Ontario starting tomorrow in Alberta in October. Just uh, when we, if you look at taxation as it is now, as it ought to be, um, and and what is what is likely to happen. Michelle, can I start with you to give us a, just an, your overview of taxation? Well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to give you a slightly different take, and I'll let Candace kind of go into some of the uh, more macro level problems that are happening in Canada. But I think what we haven't talked about since the House rose is the importance of the fact that the Americans just put in place a significant tax reform piece that significantly lowered taxes in the U.S. while we're doing the exact opposite in Canada. So, you know, there, there are so many taxes that were increased in Canada this year, both at the federal and provincial levels. Uh, you know, carbon taxes, um, CPP increases, EI increases, uh, the small business tax increases. Uh, we're doing all of these things to increase the tax burden on small businesses, on families, on single Canadians, 
on basically everything, while our major competitor to the south and our major trading partner is doing the exact opposite. So I'm worried, um, you know, we often talk about the, the impact that increased taxes are going to have on, uh, you know, the, the spending power and the ability of families and single Canadians to make ends meet. I'm also worried about next year the fact that we're losing our competitive advantage on the continent, and that's a huge problem. Um, but I'm sure my colleagues will want to talk about the impact that it has on, on, on every single Canadian as well. Yeah, Candace, when it comes to the taxation, well, you, you look at the fact that taxes are going to be changed and going to be going up, we, and new ones introduced. At the same time, we have a, a government that is running heavily uh, into a deficit territory, far more than they said that they would. And so our debt structure uh, federally is going to collide with with increased taxes. So your thoughts on that? Well, we, we have a government that has messed up pretty well everything that they've, they've set their hand to do. For sure, they have messed up the country's finances. Now, they were elected on a promise to reduce taxes for the middle class. Uh, the evidence has shown that the middle class taxes have actually gone up. They've, um, as you said, introduced and are going to be implementing a carbon tax. The carbon tax that will do nothing to reduce global emissions, uh, carbon tax that will only fill government coffers. And then you will recall in the summer when they uh, laid out their paper regarding small business tax increases, which was a complete disaster. And even though they kind of scaled it back, what has happened, Roy, it, is, it has created so much uncertainty among small businesses. And, uh, and, you know, Michelle talked about competitiveness. I think on a large scale, when we're talking about energy investment, um, large investments in Canada, that will be going south. But I think when we look at small businesses and whether people will start a small business in Canada or decide to operate as south of the border, I think on that front, we're going to see uh, a loss of, uh, of business as well. So, you know, it's, we, we just see a government that has a spending problem, and they're, you know, we haven't even started talking about how they're taxing vulnerable Canadians, people with diabetes, uh, our men and women in uniform, uh, people who actually are contributing a lot to Canada, and whether it's a $1,500 a year tax credit, uh, that means something to them. But this government has a spending problem, and they're, they're taxing Canadians uh, to death virtually. Uh, Senator Batters, you're from Saskatchewan, where there's been yeah. a bit of a, a duel. Uh, there was going to be a duel at high noon between Prime Minister Trudeau and uh, Premier Wall over the issue of a carbon tax. I don't know what's going to happen with the new uh, Premier oh, and, and the government. <laughs> <laughs> but but how does this carbon tax, when you, when you look at Saskatchewan, and then you, you broad-base it more out across Canada. How this carbon tax, uh, what, does, what does it speak of to you? Well, in Saskatchewan, we have continued to fight against that. And I know that whoever the new Saskatchewan party leader is, who will become the next premier of Saskatchewan, they will continue on the fight of Premier Wall because every single leadership contender in Saskatchewan um, for the SAS party is against the carbon tax strongly. So... Um, this is something that we've continued to fight against, and Minister McKenna and Prime Minister Trudeau have continued to avoid giving us the details of the carbon tax that they're planning to impose on us, which is completely unfair. I mean, we, I asked Minister McKenna about this in Senate question period 11 months ago, and then she didn't give me an answer as to what the details were going to be. She came back, I asked her again. Her only answer was hope springs eternal, and she was hoping that the next Saskatchewan Party Premier was going to be in favor 
favor of the carbon tax, which is just completely misguided. So now we hear talk that they're going to impose it on us um, in this com- coming September if we don't have it in place yet. Well, we're not going to have it in place because we're against it. This is not something that helps the environment. It's only something that helps the Liberal coffers. And keep in mind that Australia in 2014, after they'd introduced and passed and had in place for a period of time a carbon tax, in 2014 Australia said, no, it's hurting our economy, it's hurting our families, it's hurting our businesses, and they repealed the carbon tax. So there's an example there, uh, an economy that's quite similar to ours, um, of the, of the carbon tax being a, an utter failure. I want to talk to you about ethics. We're going to take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about ethics in government, ethics in parliament. We have a prime minister who four times now has violated ethics according to the ethics commissioner. We have a finance minister who also has been fined a, a massive sum of $200 for being an ethical violation of the, uh, of the expectations of parliament. And just ethical realities, ethical expectations of all members of Canada's federal government. We'll come back with our guests, uh, Candace Bergen, the MP for Portage-Lisker, and Michelle Rempel, uh, Calgary Nose Hill, and Denise Matters, Senator from Saskatchewan. It's the Roy Green Show, and it's the Chorus Radio Network. Roy won't take no or no comment sitting down. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Just so you know, we've invited Liberal MPs and Senators and um, Cabinet Ministers and the Prime Minister to be on this program, and none of them have found it possible. Even we're in contact with the PMO, and they got back in touch with me. We exchanged emails, we had phone calls, and we're still waiting for Mr. Trudeau to show up on this program. Michelle Rempel is with us, Conservative Member of Parliament for Calgary's Nose Hill Riding, Candice Bergen, MP for Portage-Lisker in Manitoba, and uh, Senator Denise Batters from Saskatchewan. A lot has been said about the issue of ethics. We have the Prime Minister being um, challenged directly by the uh, Commissioner, in, uh, and four times he's violated the ethics rules, the finance minister has also had his issues. Is ethics, uh, is ethical behavior, or ethical standards, a difficult accomplishment in Canada's parliament? Do you, do, you, do you walk around talking to each other, regardless of party affiliation, and saying, what do I do in this situation? What do I do in that situation? Or do people generally understand what the ethical expectations are? Senator, let me start with you. Um, yeah, it's really not that difficult. Um, they're pretty clear-cut, particularly in the case of Prime Minister Trudeau. I mean, this is the first sitting prime minister to have been found to have broken a federal law and broke it in four places, the Conflict of Interest Act. So um, it seems to me that him and his government, uh, they, they're suffering from an entitlement complex. Um, they can't relate to everyday Canadians, and instead they're dodging consequences and they seem to be allergic to accountability. Um, even he can't defend his own actions on this. Um, as we saw in the press conference, he kind of shorted out there for a bit and when he got a question from Rosemary Barton. Um, but time and again, we see him and uh, his ministers messing up, either with bad behavior or ethics violations, and 
on the minister's end of it, every single time the prime minister refuses to fire them. Um, in the case of, you know, um, uh, Mr. Tutu, Mr. Sajjan, Mr. Hare, Mr. Morneau, and instead it's the prime minister who ultimately bears the responsibility for all of this because he selected all of those people for cabinet positions and he chooses to keep them there. He could have put Bill Morneau into almost any other cabinet portfolio in order to avoid the types of potential conflicts of interest that he should have known were there and or did know were there with Minister Morneau's substantial financial holdings were widely reported before he was appointed as finance minister, but instead he chose to place him as finance minister and he chooses to keep him there now when there are substantial questions about both his ethical standards and uh, and how he's chosen to address that and also with his handling of the economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have massive deficits right now, which were two or three times what the Liberals even right. promised they would be. Right. Of course, we know budgets balance themselves. Um, Michelle Rempel, what about the issue of, of ethics for, for members of Canada's parliament? I know that there are guidelines or there are expectations issued that each MP receives. I've seen them. I have a copy of them actually in my office. Uh, was there any, uh, is, is there any gray area, any nebulous concerns about, or any concerns about nebulous areas as far as ethics are concerned, or is it just fundamentally understandable? This is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do. I guess I would describe it as, certainly in the case of the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister, I, just a lack of understanding on what the role of a public servant is, right? So, you know, in the case of the Prime Minister, um, he needs to understand that his salary is paid for by the taxpayers of Canada to work to bring good government. It is not paid to use his position to take free vacations to a private island that some, with, that's owned by somebody who lobbies or whose foundation lobbies the federal government for grant funding. That's I mean, not that, rocket science, me, is it? No, and, and I guess, you know, there's, there's all this discussion now on like, well, you know, what should we do with the Accountability Act and how is he going to be held accountable? I mean, we obviously I think our party... Our leader has done a really good job of pointing out just how ridiculous this is. But now it's really up to, it's, certainly it's still up to us in Parliament, but it's, it's also up to every single Canadian, including those who voted for Mr. Trudeau, to say, you know what, this is not what I voted you to do. I, this is not why I pay your salary. And for me, this, this is something that every Canadian, this is now up to Canadians to decide whether or not they sanction this behaviour. Um, and, and that needs to be reflected in the next federal election. You know, we're certainly going to keep putting attention on it, but I hope that Canadians remember this because to me it's a misunderstanding of what your role is. Your role isn't to take free vacations to private billionaire islands. It's just, um, it just seems really bizarre to me. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you, uh, all three of you to ask, answer each question because then we won't get through the question, number of questions that I have. So maybe one or two I'll ask, I'll ask, uh, I'll ask you to answer specific questions. If there's a question you really want to get at, and I don't ask you, by all means, uh, tell me that, and 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 we'll have you uh, answer it. Now, the two federal, two new federal party leaders in 2017, yeah, Mr. Shear and Mr. Singh. Uh, would you say that your leader has done an adequate, an admirable, or not so good job of getting out there and getting to know Canadians? I've been critical of Mr. Shear's 
um, almost invisibility uh, too frequently. I see him in question period, but other than that, not all that much. Uh, Candace, thoughts on that? Well, um, I'm, I'm the House leader, so I'm, uh, I'm in the House of Commons every day, and I know certainly Andrew Shear is doing, uh, as you said, uh, he's very visible in question period, which is one of the, really the only tools that we have to hold the government to account. And when you think about all the ethical lapses and scandals that have happened, they would only have been brought to light, uh, they were only brought to light because we as opposition brought them to light. But I do know as well that Andrew Scheer has been out traveling across the country since he was a made leader at the end of May, meeting people, talking to people. Now, you know what, Roy, it might not be places where the, the, the media is going to be covering it, so not everybody might see it. You may not see it or hear about it, and, and fair enough. But I know, and I know our caucus knows, and the people who have been meeting him know that he's been getting out and traveling across the country. Is now, and I, now that's sure. that's that's fair sure. to say. Yeah. But he has a responsibility as well, if he's going to want to be prime minister, to be heard and seen by as many Canadians as he possibly can. And getting the message out, getting his message out, if he's going to small communities, that's fine. It's, he should. But if he's going somewhere where media aren't going to cover him, maybe there's some media bias. Well, we won't bother covering Shear today <laughs> because there's a runaway dog. Um, but I, I don't think that he's doing the job that he should be doing. Neither is Mr. Singh of getting out and, 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 and maximizing exposure, particularly at a time when Mr. Trudeau has some really serious problems. Well, I mean, I, I guess we can agree to disagree, although I will say that Andrew would be the first to tell you that he wants to meet more people and, and be more visible, and he's working very hard at that. But if we, we already know Andrew Scheer is not going to beat Justin Trudeau on the celebrity front. That is not going to be where he's trying to take the battleground. He's not going to go somewhere in hopes that there's going to be thousands of people turn out. What he wants to do is talk to people and tell them what the message that conservatives have to have, the, the, the message that we have uh, and the policy and, and the different direction that we want to take the country. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know what, Roy? Sometimes that means the church basement when you're, uh, when you're you know, at the Legions or at the grocery store or some of these places. You may not get the coverage, but you've got to start one step at a time. And I do know Andrew Shear works incredibly hard. He understands hard work. He also is incredibly personable. People uh, like what, what they're seeing when they meet him. And so, you know, we just uh, we encourage him, we support him, and we just want to keep uh, seeing him get out there and do what he's doing well, to even a greater extent. Well, that's good. We have a minute, and we're going to take a break. Um, if I can just get 10 seconds quickly from, uh, uh, from you, Michelle, and from you, Senator Batters, just on Andrew Scheer. Michelle? Just 10 seconds. Well, you know, I, I think Andrew's come a long way in, in six very short months since the end of our leadership race. Uh, I, I don't think that the point that you're making is lost on him. I think he understands the, the critical necessity of getting out in mm-hmm. front of Canadians and also taking a, a very strong stance against the damaging policies that we're seeing from the Liberals, but also prevent, uh, presenting Canadians with a, a vision of something that they can vote for that's under our, yeah. our party's banner. So, you know, I, I think that he is working hard. This is going to be a big goal for him next year, and certainly he's got a lot of strong caucus members okay. uh, that are going to work on that goal. Okay, we're going to come back. Uh, I have to take a break. We'll come back and we'll continue with our hour with Michelle Rempel, Candace Bergen, both Conservative members of Parliament, Denise Batters, Conservative Senator, right after this. Standing up for the little guy for the greater good. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. 
that not have occurred to you, with all due respect? You were going to take a free holiday from someone you consider a friend. How could it not have occurred to you that that might not have been okay? The fact is, we work... Uh, the uh, Sorry, let me just try to reorder, reorder the thoughts. We... Um, worked with uh, the, the uh, uh, lobby conflict of interest commissioner it's kind of tough it's kind of tough when you're in the corner and you're not facing a pudgy old senator who can't fight back you're facing yourself that was awful the CBC interviewing the prime minister I thought it was pretty good questioning actually we have with us and it's uh, an honor to have them uh, on the program Ending 2017, heading into 2018 on the Chorus Radio Network. Across this country of ours, Michelle Rempel, who's a Conservative Member of Parliament for Nose Hill Riding in Calgary, Candice Bergen, Portage Lisker in Manitoba, and Denise Batters, Senator from Saskatchewan. Uh, let me go on to um, something else here, and that's immigration and our borders. What needs to be said about the immigration issue? And I, I know, Michelle, you and I had a conversation a few weeks ago where you, were, you, you had confronted the immigration minister on the FGM issue and the new Canadian guide for newcomers to Canada. What needs to be said about the immigration issue and the borders, and particularly when the prime minister comes up, makes up his own, his own definition of people who are breaking the law entering Canada, calling them irregular crossings. So I'll start with you, Michelle, on this issue of immigration. It's very simple. Canada, Canada's immigration system needs to function under two very simple points. The first is people coming into Canada must do it through a planned and orderly and legal system. And then we also have to make sure that people that are coming to Canada are supported and expected to integrate into the fabric of Canada's economy and into our, our, our social system. So what does that mean and where has the government been failing? So on the first component, the illegal border crossing issue, I think is one of the biggest public policy fails in Canada. In, in, in recent Canadian history, when you think about it, there were nearly 40,000 people who illegally crossed the border into Canada and had benefits such as health care and work permits expedited when there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world that want to come to this country but want to do it by playing by the rules. And it's not fair. It's not fair and it, I think, just completely undermines the integrity of our system. The second component with regard to integration is I look at the experience that some of our recent refugees have had in the country over the last year and a half and I think that that is a big failure. So the government spent a lot of effort uh, taking photo ops with refugees when they came into the country, but now the rubber's really hitting the road. Um, these are people who have spent the majority of their lives in a, in a war zone. How is the, what is the government doing to ensure that they can speak English or French, that they become employed over the long term? Um, that, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, I even think about some of these children that are going into schools um, and, and have special needs because of their, you know, their trauma. These are all things that we have to talk about. The, the reality is, is the government brought 25,000 plus people here as government-assisted refugees and had no plan in place to deal with that. And at the same time, you know, they, they turned a blind eye to genocide survivors such as uh, the Yazidis. You and I have spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, it, it's just such a complete failure. And 
the government expects Canadians to let this debate disintegrate down into, you know, uh, you know, shut the let the completely shut the doors. Uh, you know, let's you know they want to put different labels on 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 that debate. Whereas I think a lot of Canadians are saying we support immigration, but we expect you to do it right, and we're not going to let you off the hook. Uh, for for just a complete failure, mm. the government needs to close the loophole in the safe third country agreement that allows this activity to happen for people to cross the border and still claim asylum in Canada, uh, cross the border illegally. Um, they need to be putting a lot more thought into how many people are coming to the country with regard to how that matches our economic needs and the integration support that's required therein. And they need to make sure that our screening processes and that our support programs. Uh, are functioning, and we know that they're not uh, yeah. to the level that they need to be. So it's yeah. a big debate, one that they have to look at in the new year. All right, Candace, let me uh, steer you toward the issue of, uh, of refugees coming into Canada. And, I, and I'm doing this because earlier today and yesterday I saw stories that in Germany, uh, for New Year's Eve in Berlin, there's an area that's being put aside where the major New, new Year's celebrations are taking place, an area has been set aside for women to go to where they can feel safe if they find themselves in a situation where they might be being uh, approached in a way that is totally inappropriate and that they don't want to have happen. And it's a, f- and it's a reflection on what happened in, uh, in, in Cologne, I think it was, uh, in 2016, and it's been talked about a great deal that with Angela Merkel bringing more than a million or allowing more than a million migrants into into Germany, it has changed the dynamic of the country and it's created situations uh, such as the one at the uh, at the train station in, in Cologne. And, and now they have the safe area planned for Berlin. Is there anything from that experience in Germany that's being reported on that is important to the issue of refugees coming to Canada? And we remember the prime minister tweeted out that, you know, if, if you're facing religious or other, um, uh, I forget the word that he used, but um, if you're being unfairly treated, then Canada will welcome, welcome you. So can you speak to that, please? Well, it was uh, the Prime Minister's irresponsible tweet that really started the whole influx of illegal migrants. And uh, many of them actually are, are coming at borders uh, close to my, and in my riding of Portage Lisgar. So I'm uh, I'm in Manitoba, and I have Emerson very close to where I live, as well as Gretna. Um, I think there are two issues, Roy, that you're talking about. First of all is uh, Syrian refugees. And I know that Canadians uh, right across the country um, wanted to be able to support and help people who were fleeing for their very lives. And they wanted to be, help, be able to help them in Canada. Um, we did. Michelle was, uh, was working very hard asking some very important and serious questions of the government in terms of what they were doing to, as Michelle talked about, help these people when they get to Canada, but also making sure that they are screened properly. Uh, we never got answers. And then in the midst of that was when the Prime Minister sent out this tweet, uh, Canada welcomes everyone, and that's when the illegal migrant uh, issue started. Um, you know, what's interesting, when you look at the immigration system over the last 20, 30 years under previous liberal governments and conservative governments, it's been fairly, fairly consistent. There may have been some tweaks, some differences in different uh, political parties that were in government. Until now, Justin Trudeau has made such a mess of this entire file and this whole issue. And, and I agree with, with Michelle. This is a huge issue that 
We don't even know the ramifications. And people in Canada want to help. They want to believe the best of, uh, of those who are coming here. They want to see them contribute and be part of, of our towns and our communities. But because Trudeau is dismissing really important questions, he actually you know, calls people names. If, if you ask a question, Trudeau just says, oh, you probably are racist and you're not uh, asking with the right motive. That's really damaging. That's divisive. And so unless the government, in this case Trudeau, will answer these questions and stop with some of this irresponsible uh, stuff that just gives him more social media and more photos, this is only a problem that's going to grow, and, and we really don't know uh, where it might end. You know, Mr. Trudeau also in 2015 said, and we've played his clip many times, where he said in Winnipeg that, as, and he wanted, he wanted it understood that it was his initiative that any convicted terrorist who's a dual citizen in, in this country, any convicted terrorist would not lose his or her Canadian citizenship as legislation passed by the Stephen Harper government uh, was allowing to be done and was in fact done with one of the leaders of the Toronto 18. He said convicted terrorists would not lose their Canadian citizenship because, and I'm not sure that's when he said a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian, but that was not going to happen. And they passed Bill C-6, which essentially overturned C-24, and uh, and Mr. Uh, I forget his name, uh, got his, was his, had his Canadian citizenship returned in, uh, in July of this year. So there's a lot to be dealt with on the issue of refugees. When we come back, I still also want to try to get in some, uh, something about uh, Omar Khadr and pipelines, huge issue for the economy of this country, but there's something that's planned for the Senate, at least the Prime Minister wants it for the Senate, a lot said about the Senate in this country, and we'll ask Senator Batters about that when you return. Stay with us. Big stories and even bigger guests. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. In some parts of the world, it's already 2018. We're counting down and helping us do that with the final program, the final hour, the final program for 2017. Uh, on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network, we are joined by three members of the Conservative Party, Michelle Rempel, con- uh, the uh, MP for Nose Hill in Calgary, Portage Lisker, MP in Manitoba, Candace Bergen, and Denise Batters, Saskatchewan, Senator, Senator Batters, when uh, a lot has been said about the Senate, the viability of the Senate, the importance of the Senate, the lack of importance of the Senate, and on and on and on it goes. Now, Mr. Trudeau decided he didn't want any particular uh, liberal caucus in the Senate, but he has one. We know that. But from what I understand, there he's also looking at changes to the way the Senate operates, and, uh, and he's carrying on with this idea about no official opposition. What's going on? Yeah, well, the Trudeau government, alarmingly, their desired goal is to actually eliminate opposition in the Senate. Earlier this year, the Trudeau government brought forward a quote-unquote discussion paper to stifle debate and opposition in the House of Commons, and my excellent colleagues there fought that off. 
but similar efforts continue to be used by the Trudeau government in the Senate, and they're not backing down on those yet. Um, I mean, Justin Trudeau previously stated that he admires China for their basic dictatorship, and then when he was recently asked in China what country he'd admired, he replied Britain, but he replied that because of their programming of legislation. Well, if Justin Trudeau wants to push his legislation through, he should have to pay a political consequence for that political choice. I'm and he also, he kicked his Liberal senators out of caucus for political reasons, to avoid consequences dealing with our Auditor General situation. So I don't think we should completely reshape our parliamentary system in the Senate, a system that's functioned quite well for 150 years, all to satisfy the political whims of Justin Trudeau. What we have right now in the Senate, we have this new independent Senate, they like to call it. Well, this is smoke and mirrors. Independents are not more independent than partisan senators. The average voting percentage with the Trudeau government of an independent senator is 95%. Um, What we have right now is we have basically a liberal government status quo system where we're having a liberal prime minister appoint people who are inclined to vote with the liberals in very large numbers. We have a confusing situation and we also have an expensive situation. We Mm -hmm. used to have two leadership groups. Now we have four. Well, uh, talk about countries the prime minister admires. I thought it was Cuba, but I could be wrong. Yes, that too. (laughs) On, On the issue of, and this is one where our callers have said and vowed they would not forget, and they would not forget in 2019. And that was the time Mr. Trudeau cut the check for $10.5 million to Omar Khadr, who's a self-confessed terrorist and murderer, self-confessed. Uh, and he argues, Trudeau argues, well, he's saving Canadians money. He's angry that he had to do this, but if it had run its course in, in court, it would have cost $30, $40 million. He has no idea what he's talking about because who knows what it would have cost? Maybe nothing. Um, you, you can't you can't presage what's going to happen in in a court of law, but Canadians are angry and upset with that. Now, Mr. Trudeau has said that he thinks that returning ISIS terrorists who joined ISIS with the objective of participating in the kind of terrible, horrific mayhem that we've seen, he thinks they could be extraordinarily positive voices in this country. So we spoke about that yesterday, and there's a great deal of anger from our callers across Canada. Um, let me go back to you, Michelle, on uh, on this one. I, I'll just open the door. Go ahead. Uh, I, I guess I'll touch on the issue of um, terrorists who have fought with ISIS, uh, who have an association with Canada, who's tra- who've traveled to fight with ISIS and then have come back to Canada. Um you know, I've sat in rooms with women who were held captive by ISIS and sold on their sex slave markets by numerous men, uh, raped dozens of times a day by different men uh, in the name of, you know, ISIS's terrorist death cult, disgusting, um, inhuman mantra. And all I can think about is when Justin Trudeau gets up and talks about uh, rehabilitation as the key priority or talks about, uh, touts a program where the government has spent $600,000 of taxpayer money uh, for a foundation that is focusing on writing poetry uh, regarding ISIS. Um, These are the sort of things that make Canadians lose faith in the ability to gain justice for people who have uh, seen atrocities committed to them. The reality is, is that ISIS committed genocide. 
And, you know, when the prime minister or any of his ministers or any liberal stands up and says, oh, never again, and then says, well, hold on a second, our first priority isn't bringing these criminals to justice or suggesting that somehow it's a split objective. Uh, I just, you know, sending the wrong message isn't the right thing to say, because I think about what I would be feeling if I was one of these women. And the reality is, is that I'm an advocate for these women. And um, it makes me want to vomit in my mouth. Uh, it infuriates me. I, um, I, I actually, it's difficult to sort of maintain. I'm just so angry. Okay, uh, so let me, it, it's just so let, let, me let me do this. It's so fundamentally wrong. It the is. The first priority is that these people should be brought to justice. These oh. terrorists, these criminals, these murderers, these death cultists, need to be brought to justice, and Canada needs to be at the for- forefront of this internationally, not just at home, but on international criminal court convictions as yeah, well. Yeah, and I'm going to stay with you, Michelle, because the next question has to do with energy, has to do with pipelines, has to do with using our natural resources in this country to the benefit of people in Canada. That is using our resources for Canadians and then also exporting them so that we have income coming in, which seems to escape some people uh, as an Albertan, as an Alberta member of Parliament, please uh, please answer that one for us. Well, uh, the only thing I can give Justin Trudeau credit for is that he was smart, smarter than his father and that he didn't label it Nash, the National Energy Program. Um, every single thing that Justin Trudeau has done since coming to office has been to systemically dismantle any prospect of the energy sector being viable in Canada from changes to the regulatory review process for major resource projects, making that political. Uh, you know, his cabinet overturned the uh, arm's length decision made by the NEB on the gateway pipeline uh, to the carbon tax, to um, the tanker ban, to, uh, you know, all of these different regulations, regulatory uncertainty, the small business tax changes. Um, he has done everything that he possibly can to say, uh, you know, the energy sector should not operate in Canada. Uh, you know, every, even though, even calling, you know, like dirty jobs, right? You know, it's going to be very interesting in 2018 as equalization payments um, become a topic of discussion again. There, I, I think the renegotiation process happens next year. Uh, all of a sudden, Ontario, that is the biggest uh, subnational debt in the country, that has relied upon the uh, transfer payments from the development of natural resources, and by the way, in some of the most environmentally responsible conditions in the world, all of a sudden we're going to have to start having a conversation about um, what Justin Trudeau thinks the economy is going to actually do okay. uh, after all of, this, all of these jobs are relocated to the U.S., I just think that it's so short-sighted, it's ridiculous, it neg- ignores the fact that Canada has a sustainable development agenda, and uh, he's completely ruined my province, and um, I'll continue to hold him to account for that. It's disgusting, and uh, yeah, he, Justin Trudeau has no friends here. That's okay, I have, sure. to, I have to jump in because this time the clock got us and the year got us, so... Can't fight that. I thank you all three for joining us for the last hour of the program of 2017. Look forward to 2018 and uh, always look forward to a better year than the last one. And I hope that we can count on on you all coming back and joining us on the program. Thanks for having us. Love to do Thanks, that. Thanks okay. so much. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, you and all your listeners. Thank you, Senator. Senator Denise Batters, members of Parliament, Michelle Rempel and Candace Bergen on The Roy Green Show.